0: Dassa, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacetta Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for woman, by woman. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow
1: along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the Doth at www. ShevaLearningCenter.com
0: Welcome back everyone We're now on uh, Daf Lamed of Saita, And we're going to be Finishing our discussion about uh, Tama and Tara And then moving on to the next two uh, Teachings That we brought in our Mishnah Okay so, um, the Gemara is going to pick up on the point,
1: um, that we're just looking at last time, which is that, um, according to the majority view amongst the Tanayim, um, a regular food, hulin, ordinary food, cannot contract Tumma to the third degree, um, Right, the end of the line is a shani, a second degree form of impurity. After that, if that shani touches Hulan, that Hulin is pure. Um, but trima is more sensitive, right? And it can contract third degree impurity. So the Gamar says, um Amarab isi amarav, um Rav Asi, sorry, Amarab Asi Amarab, Rab Asi said in the name of Rab, but Amarila Amar Rabba bar issi amarav. Some attribute the saying to Rabba ben issi. Um, who said in the name of Rab, Rabbi Mayer, Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, Right. He's five to nine. Kulu Sibirulu, They all believe the ain shady that a second degree um uh, food with Tumma, the second degree, cannot impart a third degree of Tumma to hulin to ordinary food, right? We're going to proceed to prove um, how all of these five, ta- how we know all of these five to nine believe that Hulan cannot become tame to the third degree. Mayer. so we know the opinion of Arimayr, it's not because it says in a Mishnah, anything which needs to be taivaled just because of a dirabanan, so meaning their nature of their tuma is only a tuma dirabanan, Metame um, es ha kaidesh, so it can uh, impart tuma to carbonice. Upaisel uh, is a truma, and it could also impart toma uh, to truma. But this type of, as we said yesterday, the difference between mitame and paisel of something is metame. It becomes impure, and it could impart toma to something else. So uh, a carbon meat, um, which is touched by, by something which is Tame Dirbanan, becomes Tame and can impart Tame something else, whereas Truma only becomes Tame, but it's possible it cannot impart Tame something else. And it is actually permitted, like if this thing which is only Tame dirabanan touches Hulin, then that Hulin is completely Tahar, right? So right, something which is Tame has the status of a Shani, right? Uh, and if that shaney touches Hulin, it's completely tar. And also, if it touches meiser Shaney, it's totally fine, right? Uh, those are the words of very Uh This something, this thing, this thing which is Tommy Dorabatlan, aka a Shane Lutima, cannot touch meiser. <laughs> so, we see from here clearly, Urbi believes that Hulin cannot be a Shlishi because it's t- Tahor if it's touched by a Shaney. <laughs> Ruby Icy, so how do we know that Ruby believes that Maeser Shaini is, sorry, that Hulin <laughs> uh, cannot become terminated in third degree? So how does And this is based on the discussion we had on the previous doc, so just a short, short summary of what we said before. What we said before is that Ruby says that... Um, that Rebiosi went to great lengths to prove that carbonites are so sensitive to tama it could even become tame to the fourth degree. And he did that using a kalvahheimer. So I'm not going to get into the intricacies of what that kalvahheimer was. You can see last off for what that was. But he said, he showed in the Pesach, there's a Pesach which tells us a carbonite can be tame to the third degree. And he used the kalvahheimer to increase that halakha amplify the halakha and say that perbenas could even become tame to the fourth degree right now if Rabiesi had believed that even Hulin be, could come Tame to the third degree, then logically, if Hulin had become Tame for the third degree, then that would mean that Truma, which is even more sensitive to Kadusha, could be to Tuma, to it's more Kadosh, holy, and therefore more sensitive to Toma, could be coming to the fourth degree. And then, based on Rebiusi's logic, right, he would say that, Khatim that carbon meat could even become tummy to the fifth degree, right? And Rabbiosi doesn't say that. Rabbiosi says that Khatim can only become tummy to the fourth degree. Therefore, he must believe only trauma can become tummy to the third degree, and therefore Hulin cannot become tummy to the third degree. Um, the Mista, right? So now we're just going to read that inside. So. Uh Isa if even if Rabyeti thought that Hulin be, could become Tume to the third degree, Lei say Vitrum that he would learn through his chimer that Prauma would be Tume to the, even to the fourth degree, and the Kamishi and that Carbonus could even be coming to the fifth degree. Right, and he doesn't say that, so it must be he believes. He doesn't believe that. Rabyeshua, so how do we know Rabi Shua believes? Uh, agrees with this it's not as it says in a mishnah rabbi lezer i'm Rabi says i feel i feel if someone eats food that is a reshine let becomes a primary source of impurity himself Shani, if he eats something which is a secondary degree of shaney Shlishi, if he eats something which is a third degree type of job he becomes a shlishy rabbi shua i'm rabbi says i feel i khel reshine about eichel eichel shani shani, he says. whether you eat an eichel, that's a first degree type of impurity or a second degree. Either way, you become a shani. Um Shlisi, if you eat a sleicy, uh, a, some a food that is like a third degree type of impurity, shani but kaidish, you're considered a shani relative to kaidish. So kaidish is so sensitive to toma that when, if you touch it, it be, that kitesh becomes like a shani. The ain't sheney but it doesn't become a shiny for trauma. It's for trauma. Right? Now, Ravishua qualifies his statement. What does it mean that someone ate a shlishi? Right? Um, if you know, we we know as we've been saying this whole time that Shleisi that only Truma could, could become tummy to the third degree. Now, if Truma's tummy, you're not allowed to eat it, right? So no, you wouldn't be eating tummy Truma. Um so it must be Hulin. Now Hulin can't become tummy to the third degree. So what are we talking about? So uh Rishua qualifies as his own statement and he says, But Hulin Shinasu Altara's truma. So we must be talking about Hulin, which was made, um, was called altar as truma. So, there were certain people who were, you know, they would try to be like extra from, uh, with like sort of an extra, like, khumra and stringency, where they would eat their regular food with the same type of stringency, with the same degree of tahara as truma, and they would make a special neder, a special vow. Uh, take that upon themselves and because of the vow they take upon themselves they then sort of elevate all the food that they eat and now their food that they eat is considered altaris truma and the food that they eat can even contract uh, a third degree level of pure uh, impurity right so Right, so she says we're talking about someone who ate a shlisi of hulin, it's regular food that was made altaras trimah, that was made to be um, on the same level of purity as trimah. Uh, and that's why, that's, you know, and that's how we get the halakas of what happens when someone eats such food that's impure. Now the Gemara comments on this parenthetically, altaras trimah in, that if someone tr- tries to prepare food, altaras trimah, then that's valid, that works. He has indeed changed the status of his food and it can now uh, contract uh, purity to the third degree. Uh, Altar is like, but um, if somebody decides he wants to make his food, Altar the same, which means the same level of purity as carbonis, right? But then that doesn't work. Um, that's not, you know, it's not a thing. Uh, and even if someone makes such a vow, uh, you know his food does not contract that type of toma. Um, just parenthetically, this line in the Gemara is kind of controversial. Rashi says that this is line should be taken out, and that you actually can make food altars like Hiddish, There that You know you can. It does. It does work to kind of say I want my food to have the same level of susceptibility to toma as carbonized. B doesn't A. Um, yeah, that the intricacies of that are not really relevant to our discussion. Um, but the takeaway from all this is that, um, we believe Alma, Kasabar, and Shani, I should Shlishi, but Right? Because Rabbi Yeshua said, oh, when we say Shlishi, that's only if you made your hulin Altar That implies that normally a Shani does not impart a third degree of impurity for hulin, right? So we've proved our point that um, Rabbi Lazar believes that hulin cannot contract a Shlishi, become a Shlishi. Really, yeah. So how do we know uh Lazar? So the tiny rebelazar said schles and shabin. So the, all, the following three categories are equal. Ha reshine shabba hulin, Right, so if a re um, imparts purity impurity to uh, sorry, let's, let's say carbon, a piece of carbon meat or hulin meat or truma, that is a re Mitame so if if it's if it's kaidesh right it could then impart tuma to two more like for two more degrees akad, and then impart tuma for one more degree but after that fourth degree, the box stops there right um For Truma, that's like there's one less step. So what, you know, that Rishon could make a shani right? And that shani could impart Tuma to a Shlishi, but then that's the end. And then for Hulin, that Rishon can just make a shani impure, and then that's the end, right? Um, In Hulin, you cannot, you know, the, the impurity doesn't travel any further. Um, right, so that's just pretty clear. Rebilezer says pretty much straight out, Kulain <laughs> cannot become a Shlishi. So Rebilezer has the most complex proof, um, It's not. Um, so it's fr- based on a Mithnah regarding the halachas of taking challah. So um Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Lezer says, Challah needs min tahir You can take challah from a tahor do for a... Tame dough right um so chala, right a piece of dough that has to be given to the taihan khala is a form of truma and has it's holy just like truma so all of the laws of tuma that we said apply to truma apply to kala, right it's extra sensitive to tuma and it can even contract tuma to the third degree um so we realize that you can take khala from tahar dot, uh for tummi dough and this has an advantage because um just like truma cannot be eaten when it's tame, uh you also, if you take challah from tummy dough, you know, the kind won't be able to eat it, right? So it's kind of advantageous to be able to take it from a tahar dough. Now, here's the issue, right? So the issue is, is you can't take challah from a dough that's in one bowl on one side of the room for a dough that is in another bowl on the other side of the room. Like right? the doughs have to be connected. Right, so you have to somehow connect the tahor dough and the tamay dough without having the tamay dough make the tahor dough impure because they're touching. Right, so how do you do that? Um, so Kate, how can you maneuver this so you can both connect the two doughs and make sure the tahor dough doesn't become tamay? So, Kate, how do you do it? So, you got two. Um, yeah, these two dogs. One of them is Tahor, and one of them is Tommy. Um, Night Column is the so So you take a measure of challah, right? The a dough that it's that's enough to take challah from a dough, a batch of dough where challah has not been taken yet. But noting pachos be kibetzah, but emsa, you take a ball of dough that's less than a kibetzah. A kibetzah is the minimum measure um, for or for food. Um, if a food is less than a kibetsa, it cannot contract or impart tama. right? So the idea is you take a ball of dough that's less than a kibetsa, so it can't contract in purity, and you use that piece of dough to, and put it in between the two doughs to connect the tame dough and the tahar dough. So even though the tame dough is touching this, tiny piece of dough it's fine because that tiny piece of dough cannot contract them because it's so small um but it does the job of connecting the two doughs right so it's great so So you could put this ball of dough really small piece of dough in the middle so you can take dough from that whole you know broader uh batch This is not permissible, right? So the mission that we just read said that you have to put, you must, however, put a piece of dough that's less than a kabeza. However, Britannia, we have a similar teaching that's brought in a brysa. And in the brysa, it says kabeza. You could even put a piece of dough that's a kibetza. You could even put a piece of dough that's susceptible to contracting tuma, right? So the proof basically is um, that that according to the Brysa, which says you could put a kibetza, basically what Belyazer is saying is that you could have a dough, which is tame, right? It's a rishon latoma. And you could even put a ball of dough, which is a kibetza. And it can contract impurity. So you're going to take this ball of dough, attach it to the tame dough, and it's going to become a shani, a second degree of impurity. But it's all good. Even though it's a shani, it's totally fine for this shani to touch your tahor, batch of dough because your t- her patch of dough is cooling. It's completely permissible. Uh it's and it's completely permissible and it cooling does not uh contract so much of the third degree. Right? So because rubiolazer allows you to connect the two doughs with a piece of dough larger than a cabeza it Proves and implies that he believes that uh, Tahor Hulin cannot become impure to the third degree. Right. Now, the Gemara points out that proving that this proof from this Mishnah takes two. Things for granted, the ruha right. Those who use this Mishnah as a proof must believe. Easy be easy, but it's that is, the rishon. The and the Mishnah are talking about dough, which is a rishon latama, like coming to the first degree, and the chulin hatvulin l'chala lo khaladami. This issue is going to come up later. There's this idea that if dough has not had chala taken from it, right? So it's kind of like, right? It's chulin. It's regular food, but um, It hasn't had challah taken from it yet. So one view says, okay, this dough is regular kulin and it can't become a shleishi. Another view is that because inside this dough, there's sort of like latent shrumah, like challah, which is later going to be taken out, um, therefore that potential challah that's inside it can be susceptible to becoming a shleishi, right? Um... So, right, so this is a difference of opinion, but, you know, if we're going to use this Mishnah as a proof, it must be and that, therefore, even though this tahar do has not had Kala taken from it, it's treated like regular hulin and it cannot become a shlishi. Right, so, if you take these two principles for granted, they must be Arguing, Rabbi Lezer and the are arguing about our very issue. Demar suffered the Ain Shani, I say Shlushi, but the That Rabbi Eliza believes that a Shani, a second degree of impurity, cannot impart a third degree level of impurity with hulin. right? And therefore, you could put that as big a piece of dough as you want to connect the Tamay and the Tar dough. Umar suffered Shani, ice The Chachamim believe that. You the a does impart a third degree level of impurity for kulin, and that's why they don't allow it. Okay, so that is the proof from the Mishnah. We're now gonna have two arguments. Um two um which are gonna argue. This Mishnah is not necessarily a proof. It could be that this Mishnah that the art the the Chachamim and are not arguing about that issue at all. It could be they're arguing about a different issue entirely. Um, so Amma um, Rav Mari, brother of Kahana, the son of Rav Kahana said, "The I believe that both the Chachamim and Rabi believe that um, a shani cannot impart third degree level tuma for kulein. Right? They both agree that. They're arguing about a different issue entirely. There's another factor at play, which is causing the Chachamim to assert it. What is that? Uh, they're arguing about the principle of whether hulin, which doesn't have Chala taken from it, is equated to Chala for the purposes of Tuman and Daharah. Mar-savar khala the Hachaman believe that since there's like potential khala in that dough, you have to treat the dough like khala. And therefore, just like khala could be a shlishi l'tumah, this dough could also become a shlishi l'tumah. Umar-savar lo k'chala damu, um, believes, no, it's not like khala at all, right? It's just like cooling. it doesn't matter that you're gonna take challah out of it later. Right now, this dough is cooling, and it can't become a shlishi. Um be and if you want, you can give an alternate explanation of the makhlukes. You could say You could say, yeah, maybe Rabbi Lazar and the both believe that even though the kulin doesn't have khala taken from it, it's not considered like khal. It's like regular kulin, which can't contract. Slishi Tuma. Um, and you could say they also agree that ain't Shani I that a Shani can't impart a third degree of level of Tuma in kulin. right? There's an, an entirely separate issue they're talking about. They're arguing about the ligram They're arguing about the following issue. They're arguing about whether you're allowed to intentionally cause Hulin to become Tame in Eritisral. Mar um the Rabbi Elazar believes. Rabbi Elazar says, no problem. You can take all the kolon you want and make it tame on purpose. No problem. Mar but the Chachaman, believe. You're not allowed to just make tuma, make kulin, even regular food tame uh, and airis tustrel on purpose, and therefore. Um, for this completely tangential reason, you can't do this arrangement of attaching the two doughs with a ball of dough because you're then intentionally making that ball of dough tamai by attaching it to the tamai dough. Right? So it's kind of unclear what the argument is here. Um, but at any rate, all of the opinions agree that at least Rabbi Eliezer believes that you can't make a shlishi litama. And according to the latter two views, even the Chachamim in this mishnah believe that you can't that Hulin can't become a third-degree level of uh, Torah. All right, now we're going to move on to the next teaching that was in our Mishnah, another teaching that was said on that very day, that Elazar wa, Ben-Azariah was elected, Nasi and the base writers. So, bye-bye, that day, Jarash Rabi Akiva, uh, that Akiva expounded. V'hulu. So, the teaching is referring to here, um, is it talking about the cities of the Levium. There are forty-eight cities given to the Levium in Eretz Israel. They didn't have their own portion in Eretz Israel. The Levium were just given these cities. And Rabbi Akiva believes uh, there's two, like kind of conflicting sukkim that are written with regard to the city of Lvivian. One Puslik indicates that there were 2,000 Amis left empty outside of the city, and one Puslik indicates that there were 1,000 Amis. So, Rabbi Akiva resolved this contradiction by saying, there was 1,000 Amis left empty outside of the city, and when it says 2,000 Amis, um the 2,000 Amish is just indicating it's about, you know, it's teaching you about a completely separate halacha. It's teaching you how many amas the Tchum shavit should be. And it's just the source for saying that Tchum shavit needs to be 2,000 amas. Um, Rabbi Eliezer disagrees. Right? Rabbi Eliezer says no. Um, he interprets it differently. He says 1,000 Amis need to be left empty. And the 2,000 Amis is an additional 2,000 Amis, which needs to be left outside of the city. And these 2,000 Amis were dedicated for the purpose of sowing fields and vineyards. Right. So the Gemara wants to know, um, the Mai right? Classic question of the Gemara what are they arguing about, right? <laughs> They're just like putting ran- pulling random opinions out of the hat, right? What indeed is driving their different opinions? Ap- Interpretations. So, Mar Savar Tchum and Deraisa, Rabbi Kiva believes that the idea of Tchum Shabbos is Derisa, right? And therefore, he um, attributes the sheer the amount of space of Tchum Shabbos and attached it to a pasuk in the Torah. Well, Mar Savar Derabanan Rabbi believes it's Derabanan, and that's why he can't, you know, explain the pasuk of two thousand Amis as referring to Tchum Shabbos because. That's a so it's a public, and Trem isn't der, right? It says and so therefore, he needs to explain it a different way. All right, we're now gonna um, focus on the last teaching in that Mishnah. Um, and right, so it says it's a, a second, second, to last. Six, second to last. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's well, second to last. one more on the right? <laughs> Yes, second to last one. Um... And it's a teaching where they dart in the words of Yashir, And um, the Tanai were disagreeing. What exactly does the word lemar mean? Right? Lemar implies to say, right? my so sheers, right? By And they said saying, right? So what's the word lemar? And the Tanai had different opinions about what the word lemar means met, right? It indicated some sort of, like, call and response between most of the Jewish people, and the Tanai differed about how exactly this worked. So, the Gemaris here is going to quote a Brisa, which um, includes some of the opinions we saw earlier in the Mishnah, and it's going to add a few more as well. So, Tanai right, we learned in a Brisa, by Baim, Darush, Rabi, Akiva, Natai, or Akiva, Darushin, Bishash, al Yisrael, Manayam, uh, when at the day when the Jewish people um, crossed the Yamsiv, for they literally means they got up from the Yomsef, um they decided to sing Shira to Hashem. The case at Shira. so how did they say Shira? Hamak Hamakri a It's like when an adult leaves the minion. Uh, in Hallel, they an offer brushy program, and the congregation answers after the chazin, the beginning of the paragraph. Right, so in the times of the Gemara, the way it was customary to recite Hallel was the chazin would say like the first line, like it would say like hallelujah and then the whole shul um, wouldn't say the whole line; they would just respond hallelujah and then. The Kazan would say the next line and then they would respond, Hallelujah. Right? So um, that's how most of the Jewish people saying, As Yashir. Meisha Amar Ashir Lashem. Right? So they would say, Ashir Lashem. Behem Amaram Ashir Lashem. They would respond, Ashir Lashem. Meisha would say, Kiga Ga." Right? You'd say the next line of the Shira. Kiga Ga." Behem Amaram Ashir Lashem. And they would respond again, Ashir Lashem. Right? And they just kept repeating that refrain for every line that might said. Rabbi Aimer. the son of Rabbieti says, It's like when a minor leaves the congregation in hollow. So um, the the first when we said hollow when a a person who is like an adult leaves the hollow, a person who's an adult, um, an adult man, can be yice the whole congregation um, by the, for their obligation. So the whole shul doesn't need to say hal on their own because they're listening to the chaz and kind of like when someone makes kiddish for you, you don't actually have to say the words of the kiddish, right? You could just listen to them say it. It's called shema Kaida. So a similar thing happens here. When a God, when a person who's an adult leads the congregation, the whole congregation doesn't need to say every single word because they're yaitzeh. Through the closet, but when the person leading the congregation is a katan who's a, a minor, uh, a minor is not chayav, right, to say hello. And there's an important principle that uh, you can only be see somebody else if you yourself are chayav in the mitzvah. So since the katan is a chayav to say hello, the katan can't be see the congregation. And so in that case, if a katan is leading, the minion, everyone would have to say every word on their own. So uh, when it says katana a is the halal, the hain and an akar, like what happens when a minor leads the minion when saying halal? Um, the, the minor says, says a line, and then the minion has to repeat every single word after him. Right, the hain and an emer. they repeat after him everything that he says. So according to this view, the way it works was maisha amarshir lashen, Maybe with the shirlasham they remember the shirlasham they would repeat shirlasham maybe would say kigaiga maybe would say kigaiga the him ayen kigaiga and they would repeat kigaiga for me the hamia Haparis Al her peris alshama the basicness for me it's like when the khazin kind of um introduces the Shema in shul who peth peth khila the him ayen he kind of starts the brechits out loud and then um, everyone else repeats the breakfast after him. And then they say the Shema together in unison. That's how, it, that's how it was customary.
0: So just to um, explain this disagreement a little bit, you know, I mean, it seems sort of technical, like how exactly did they say the Shira, you know, does it really matter? Um, but obviously this is not just telling us just technically what words they said, but it's trying to tell us a little bit about the level that the Jewish people reached at, um, Kriyas Yamsa, right? You know, Kriya Yamsa was this incredible, you know, revelation of, of of Hashem and, you know, all the Jewish people experiencing vua, as we're going to describe soon. Um, so what what this is really describing here, again, when they're singing as Yashua, when they're singing the Shira, singing Shira is not just about, you know, describing the downfall of their enemies and telling the story of what they just witnessed, because, you know, they've all they all know what they just witnessed, uh, but it's really doing is it's sort of them reaching this level of recognition of what the evil of Mithraim represents and 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 sort of experiencing why, you know, they have to go through this process of 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 um, destruction. Right. And um, and and what what's 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 so incredible about the whole. Uh, you know, when they were singing as Yashir, that them responding to Ma'aseh is for so the Jewish people reaching the level that Ma'aseh Rabbeinu was at. Right, that that level of recognition um, of of what this evil of my, of Mitzrayim is all about. Um, and the Shemesh Mul actually explains that each of these three opinions are really describing sort of three different three different approaches to. To um, you know how how great of a level the Jewish people reached. So one opinion is that okay they you know they they were only meaning all three are saying that they needed Misha to sort of lead the way right. They didn't have the ability themselves to reach this level. The question is how much independence did they then did they, did they then adopt um, once Misha sort of led the way um, and them reaching this 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 great level. So. One is saying that oh, the only thing that I mean, Maisha started right. He and Maisha would would start the song, and the only thing they had the ability to repeat after him is just the refrain, right? Just the the, the general statement, right? Um, that was all they were able to to respond to, because um, that's sort of as 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 high of a level as they reached. The other opinion is saying no, Maisha would start, and once Maisha started, um, they were able to then repeat all of it. Um, after him, right? They were like, Maisha had to sort of initiate and, and give them that ability. But once he gave them that ability, they had the ability themselves to then reach a the level that he was at. Um, and the third level, the third opinion is saying that um, all they needed was Maisha to just start the process. And once he started, they were able to continue together with Maisha, right? And do the whole thing together with him. And, um, and then the Talmud will explain. So why do they need Maisha at all, right? Like what, what's 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 unique about Maisha? He says Maisha is, is, is a person who's totally complete, right? His character is, his midites are like this compl- are. are are whole and complete. And the Jewish people, right, we know, Sphere Sa'am are sort of this process of, you know, rectifying our, our Midis, right? That's sort of the process that we're in right now. And the Jews would only reach that level of Maishra Bina once they reached Har Sinai, right? Because that's when they would finish rectifying all 49 um, midas. Um, so at this point, when they were at the, at so they hadn't yet reached that level. Um, but, but, the reason why at the moment of they were able to reach the level of Maisha is because when they you know marched into the sea right they demonstrated this mysterious this total you know dedication to Hashem by saying we're going to march into the sea even though we don't know what's going to happen Um, that sort of brought them to this level of completion that Maisha had um, that enabled them to sing this Shira um, just you know alongside alongside Maisha
1: it's so beautiful wow yeah um, yeah, I mean it is one of those passages where you can kind of like sense the, you know, like I guess the deeper meaning underneath it. Um, you know, it's kind of like begging for <laughs> for an explanation. Um, so what we're going to proceed to do now in the Gemara is to kind of derive. The Gemara is actually going to ask uh, right now, but my fleegi what are they arguing about? And the Gemara is going to attach their explanations also to the pshat and the puzzle and explain how their explanations connect to the. the kind of technical wording in the pasuk. So, Rebbe Akiva, so again Rabbi Akiva was the one who said um, that the Jewish people just repeated the refrain of a Shir lashem. So Rebbe Akiva, Akiva thought, "Lamar that um, that the word Lamar only refers to the words that come right afterwards. Right? So it said um to Lashem Lamar and the words immediately afterwards are Asher Lashem Gaiga. So Rabbi Kiva believes when it says Lamar, which indicates they repeated something, they only repeated those next three words. Next two words, Asher Lashem. Rabbi Leather said Lamar Akol Milsa Milsa. The word Lamar to repeat refers to every single word in Yashir, Right? And that is what leads to his opinion that um, the Jewish people repeated every single word after My Rabbeinu. For Sava believes, so Arbein had the most interesting opinion. He kind of had a mix of both. He said, the Jewish people initially repeated the first line after Meishe, and then they sang the rest together with Meishe. So where does he get that from? So he thinks, the the Pasuk said two words. It says Vayaymru, which indicates they said it they all said it together in unison and then it says lamar repeating. So he says the word Vayomru um indicates that they said the Medora, like the whole Shira together. Lamar like Barisha, Laymar indicates that Maisha just introduced and started off by saying the first line. Uh, but then the rest of it was Bayamru. They said it all together. Um Tani So we have a related Brisa, Daras or Biasi and or Beshim Englili expounded, but Shah to Allu and Hayam at the moment that the Jewish people crossed the sea, not to name They um you know it they decided to sing Shira to Hashem, but Keith and Amru. How how did it what was the scene? Um, I'm not sure how it was it that they think, they think, Shira? I will ke There was a toddler that was, you know, still, like, kind of laying on his mother's, um, like, kind of still, like, lying on his mother. Betina and a, a baby still suckling from his mother. But Kibin Shirao is and when they saw the Shlina, I will the... You know the young child would like lift up its head, but me piv, and the you know the suckling baby would unlatch from from eating. But Amru and they said this is my God, and I will glorify Him. Shneamar it says, me the from the young children and the suckling babies. Uh, you will establish strength and glory. Hi Rabi Mayor, I'm said, Me Iman How do we know that even the fetuses and their mother in the mother in the woman's womb? Um said Shira. Shanamar as it says, Right. Um in the crowd, you know, that gathered on the sea, they blessed Hashem from the source um uh Israel. Right, they brought, the Jewish people, it literally means the Jewish people bless Hashem from the source, but I mean, Makor could also be a reference to the womb, so it means even the, those in the womb, bless Hashem. So, wait, so the, the obvious question is, hey, they can't see, right? How, it says that as soon as they saw the Shlina, uh, they decided to sing shir to Hashem. Now, a fetus inside the womb can't see, so Amar Abi said, nasa Right, the you know stomach tissue um, was transformed into like this clear glass, um,
0: and they're able to it's such a like a uh, you know cool imagery. You know, like this like fish tank type of a uh, thing where like the stomachs are turning into this glass. Um, the fetuses are watching. Right. Um, so you know we can always understand this literally. But but there's also a lot of symbolism here, obviously. So th- this this phrase bespeklaria hamira, um, that's the phrase that's used to describe the difference between Maisha Rabbeinu's nivua and all the other Nevi'im. Because all the other Nevi'im, they saw, they were able to see their nivua bespeklaria right? Which means like a sort of an unclear, sort of hazy glass, while well, Meisher Rabbeinu was able to see Baspeklaria hamira with a clear, a clear glass. Um, so what is this, uh, what is this passage really saying, right? It doesn't mean literally that, I mean, the Maharal explains this, that it doesn't necessarily mean that the infants and pieces were literally speaking and singing Shira. But the idea of singing Shira is really an expression of the Jewish people's recognition of their creator, right? Recognizing Hashem and, and expressing their desire to, to come close to him. So these, the idea of these these infants and these you know fetuses turning right the infants turning away from their mothers you know nursing from their mothers um, in order to sing shira and you know the fetuses inside the moon, what that's really saying is that even these these infants and fetuses that are like totally dependent on their mother for sustenance in that moment they were able to experience this this recognition of Hashem and turn away from their mother and realize that their true source of their sustenance is really is really Hashem um and the Shemesh actually says that we, we you know you know when it comes to nevuah, right first of all we know that everyone all the Jewish people had nevuah in that at, at that time during the crossing of the sea because they all said the exact same words at the same time right um but he says it's not just a, a regular type of nevuah because even when it comes to nevuah, different neviim will will have a different style right they'll, they'll different neviim will speak in different ways right because you know a, a regular Navi not like my Benu you know, they're a conduit for Hashem's message, but they're not totally transparent to Hashem's message. And so it's kind of filtered through their own individual way of speaking, right? But here, the fact that all the Jewish people said Shira in the exact same words shows that they had Nivu on the level of Meishu right? Which is called a Speklari HaMe'ira because it says about about Maisha Rabinu that the Shekhinah Medeber Shbitech Brenei, right? That it was literally like the, the Hashem was speaking through his mouth. So literally the words, the style that he said was completely transparent, transparent to Hashem. Um, and that's the type of Nivu that the, all the Jewish people experience. And that's why even um, the infants and fetuses, right? Who don't even have the ability to speak yet, right? They don't even have, right? You know, they're not, right? They're not able to actually talk. Even they were able to sing Shira because this the the Navu was on such a high level that it was literally like. You know, the Shkina was speaking through them, right? They didn't have to have their own um, their own uh, speaking ability in order to be transparent to that nivua. Um, so this uh, this sort of cute little description of the of the fetuses and the and the infant singing Shira sort of gives us a, a window into the power of the nivua that the Jewish people experienced um, at that time right no pun intended no <laughs> right, <window>. exactly <laughs> yeah. all right we will uh, continue next time on Dof, Lama, and Aleph. we're going to finish the park and uh, start a new one see you there